It's been far too long since I've seen him. Far too long since I've seen him. Oh, yeah. We're brothers. We've got the same daddy, but just different moms. Come on, John. And you are the better looking, I have to say. That mustache is just devastating. <laughs> devastating, Johnny. That mustache is devastating. <laughs> he looks like Cary Grant. Amen. <laughs> Forget me. Oh, yes. Oh, Kyle, Lynn, you showed up. Praise the Lord. How many, how many is this their first tabernacles and gathering? Raise your hands. Actually came here. That's awesome. So most of you have had some experience. Are you trying to flame the fire or what? You want, to, you want more fire? Huh? You're trying to fan the flame? Let's fan the flame. On fire. We're on fire. Hallelujah. That's got to be that newlywed Brenda. Come on, where is she? Hallelujah. Where are you, Brenda? Hallelujah. Consuming fire. You're right, Jeffrey. Absolutely. Burning everything up. Burning everything up. Hallelujah. 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 Okay, Karen, I guess I'm going to have to ask you to stand up, please, with your, with your friend. And forgive me because I've forgotten her name already. Jane. Okay, Clark Kent. Do word association. Clark Kent, Jane. Clark. Don't, I didn't say to sit down. Please stand up. Come on. Come on. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> now I'm going to ask Sheila Zeller. Sheila, Sheila, would you please stand up? Because nobody's seen you yet tonight. Come on. They heard you, but they didn't see you. Come on. Absolutely, absolutely. She's hallelujah, and that, and that's, and that's her mean back there. She was prophesied over, and she's another woman tonight. Hallelujah. Woo! Power of God. Where's Wes? Where's Wes? It's all your fault. It's all your fault back there. The power of God's been released. Amen. Amen. Come on. Come on. Oh, I love you, Hermine. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay, we're all done. See you tomorrow. <laughs> Amen. I feel like I'm down south, all of these ladies just fanning themselves, and I'm waiting for them just to look up in the sky and say, Oh, my, my, where's my... Where's my bow? <laughs> Southern ladies, exactly. <laughs> and Holly's got this big smile about as big as her fan over there. <laughs> well, welcome to the Feast of Tabernacles. Thank you for all of you that uh, prepared a meal tonight. It was an, uh, Give the hand for those that have eaten here tonight. Come on. I saw that table and I thought, my goodness, nobody, even the worship team was able to eat tonight, huh, John? <laughs> Monday night, everybody consumed the food, the worship team went over there and the tables were already picked up and gone and there was no food. 
So they made sure, John, worship team, they made sure that you had food tonight. Yes, ma'am. That was Betty Green laying it down, folks. Twenty-one years old and full of far. You know, this is really. Uh, help me, Lord. Zeller, Zeller. What's the first name? Sure, Sheila. What can I say? I'm sorry, girls. I told you. I just try. I really try hard. These two girls, I put their name in my phone so I wouldn't forget. And then I forgot the phone. Thank you, JC. I don't even try. Right, Joy? I haven't even said your last name. No way. I'm not even trying that one. No. Chickenowski. Everybody say it at the same time. Chickenowski. That's not hard. I'll forget it in two minutes, but that's all right. Hallelujah. But this really was it all about, because Sheila was saying this is really, uh, she was asking the Lord about the Word and that, and she was putting all of her PowerPoint stuff together, and the Lord said, put it all away. And this isn't anything, Joe, Joe, don't take us. this is what the Lord has spoken to her. She says, because he says, I just want you to have this time to celebrate. And if you listen to what Holly said this morning, the fullness of tabernacles is going to be the wedding feast. That will be a time to celebrate. So as we're faithful to continue this rehearsal year after year after year, because we don't know what year it's going to be. We know the season of time. And so as long as we're rehearsing when the final does come, when the completion does come, we're not going to miss the wedding feast. Because the invitation isn't in our Bible or in our pocket. The invitation is written right on our hearts. And we're panting and we're waiting for the fullness of that day. Amen? And so this time just grows on you and grows on you because look at the person next to you. You're starting to like them. A little bit. Not a lot, but a little bit. And by the time he comes, we're going to love each other. Come on, not just like each other. But I'm very, very encouraged. Uh, Someone like uh, Kyle and Lynn, I don't mean to continue to point you kids out, but this bridging the generations is so important. And Lynn and Kyle just got married, and this is Lynn's first Feast of Tabernacles. And so this time is so important for the generations because we that are older, I was talking to Wes and whoever was in and whoever was in the van. All my mentors, almost all my mentors are dead now. And I have to find those 
as Biddy and, and others are, John and everyone, they're my accountability. But for where we go, are going, I relied on the fathers before me, all my apostolic fathers. And so what we find ourselves now is, is that we're moving into new places corporately. And the excitement is, is that we can now bring this to every generation. So when Betty said the challenge was there, like you young people, Lynn, Kyle, you need to then begin to draw your generation and bring them into the experience of what this love fest is all about. Eating the heavenly manna and then taking care of the rest of it right here. So I'm not going to take any more time because if you haven't uh, read the books of Richard Henderson and or some of you have seen his YouTube, some have, or Robert Henderson, I'm sorry, and some have sent you uh, clips that you've seen it. It's a powerful, powerful setting. Get last night's. You can go to the website under sermons and you can get part one. And so tonight she's going to go a little bit deeper into the understanding of what the courts of heaven are all about. Amen? Because it's an experience that has been given to us, established in the blood of Jesus, in the authority of the final judge who is the Father. Amen? And if he's speaking this now at Tabernacles, that means he's going to give the empowerment to begin to experience and walk it out. Is there a drummer back there? Are we ready for a drum roll? There we go, there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in Hartford, Vermont, Praise Chapel represents Joy, what's your last name? <laughs> Sorry about that. No, Just I get it. it. I get it. That's awesome. Somebody, somebody said on this floor over here, that's not Italian. And the funny thing about it is our name is not Italian. Uh, my husband's uh, German and Polish. Uh, his father was, but his mother was 100% Sicilian. And so is my side of the family. And so my kids are like more than three-thirds Italian, and they have this long, you know, Polish last name. But I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, When I was pregnant with my daughter Carly, I went to my gynecologist who was a distant uh, relative. That'll tell you that I'm Italian. Uh, my gynecologist was a distant <laughs> relative, a c- cousin of my mother's, and um, so I, <laughs> yeah, I, I I go to the to my uh, appointment, and he says, "Hey, by the way, tell your mom that um, I I got uh, this was years ago, obviously, because Carly's going on 25, and tell your mom I got this new program that researches families' histories, and I've researched." her side of the family back five generations to a city in, in, in um, Sicily, which I knew was, was my family's uh, uh, place of origin. And I also knew that it was my husband's place of origin. We already knew that, that our families were from the same little village uh, in Sicily. And he said, yeah, I traced them all the way back to a family by the name of Pecorara. And I said... I said, excuse me, say that name again. And he said, Pecorara, that's my mother-in-law's maiden name. 
So my husband and I are kissing cousins. <laughs> anyway, true story. <laughs> true story. So anyway, our kids all turned out okay. <laughs> so. so I'm very blessed to be here tonight. Uh, very excited to uh, come to Vermont and be able to share about the courts of heaven. It's been uh, an amazing experience to have this mystery revealed to us uh, at this day and hour. We know that the scripture says God is the one who reveals the mysteries of the kingdom to us. And this is definitely something that uh, has been a hidden mystery that is now being appointed for this time uh, in church history. And uh, it's exciting to be a part of what God is doing in revealing the courts. And, and I have to say that this today I really... Uh, struggled. I told my kids, man, I, I I came with the sermon, and after last night, I was like, yeah, no, that's that's not what I need to say. And then all day today, I'm trying to figure out what he wanted me to say, and thinking, well, maybe we just need to do a court. You know, I'm like, Lord, what do you want to do here tonight? You know, so I'll be honest with you, tell you, I, I'm not sure yet. So we're just going to hang loose with the Holy Spirit, right? And my kids said, are you worried? I said, no, I'm like so used to God doing this to me. You know, like just, we're going to just go with this, you know. So all right, you know. Um, but I I did want to share with you a couple of things. First of all, um, I feel like we need to take a minute before we get into the message on, on the courts or experience whatever Holy Spirit's going to have for us with the courts tonight. Um, I felt, did feel that the Lord wanted us to um, experience something in unity tonight. Uh, he gave me the passage of Scripture. Um, I, I'm losing the address. I should have brought my phone up with me. But um, where it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. It is, thank you, Psalm 133, for the, for it is there that God commands the blessing. And so what I'd like us to do, I, I am a seer. Um, how many seers do we have in the room that God uses your imagination? Okay. I want to tell you that it is my personal opinion that I don't believe that is uh, a gift for only a few people. I think God created our imagination for the purpose of being able to connect with the spirit realm. So I believe all of us can see. We need to see, actually. Um, our, our memories are all stored as images in our mind. It's the way our brain is wired. So if I say to you, what's your favorite Christmas memory? Immediately, your mind is coming up with an image. You're seeing where you were. You're seeing maybe the gift that you got, the person that you had a good time with. All of our memories are stored as images. And so our brain is wired to remember based on what we see, more than what we hear. Um, how many of you have heard of the book or read the book, um, uh, School of the Seer? Anybody? Okay, if you have not got that book, I strongly encourage you to get it. It's called The School of the Seer, and the author's name is slipping me right now. Do you guys remember? Weldon? John Weldon, I think? Yeah, John Weldon. Thank you. It's a phenomenal book. The concept of the book um, is basically 
we, that we have 15 senses, not five. Because we have five basic senses in our body, sight, smell, touch, hearing, and what's the one I'm missing? Taste. Okay. So we have those five senses in our physical body, but we also have those same five senses in our soul and in our spirit. So we all know the phrase, I smell something fishy in here, right? Are you really smelling fish physically? No. What's happening? Your soul, your soul's sense of smell is discerning that something is not right with the people in the room. Okay? That's your sense of smell in your soul. How many of you ever have smelled the fragrance of the Lord? Um, you know, like a flower or... Not long ago, we were singing the song, the worship song, um, the fragrance of God's holiness. And I said to the Lord, I said, what does the fragrance of your holiness smell like? What is that? I want to smell that. When you smell the fragrance of God, like a flower or um, however you're smelling, that is your sense of smell in your spirit. Okay? So I asked the Lord, what does the fragrance of your holiness smell like? And you know what he said? He said, steak on the grill. And I was like, okay, steak on the grill. But think about it. In the Old Testament, with sacrifice, God required the fattest part of the animal to be burned on the altar because of the fragrance there is nothing like a good fatty steak on the grill. How awesome is that? So the next time you're smelling steak on the grill, you have to remember God's holiness. You will never forget that, will you? You'll never forget that. Okay. It's an image. It's why Jesus spoke in parables. His disciples says, why don't you speak straight? Why are you speaking in parables? He said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this, right? He spoke parables a couple of years ago when, and this might not mean much to you guys all the way over here, but when the Cleveland Indians, not the Indians, Cavaliers, the the Cleveland Cavaliers finally broke the curse okay, off of Cleveland. And literally, um, LeBron James called it a curse. And everybody in Ohio started to call Cleveland Believe Land. Now, I want to tell you, we had just been in that same arena for the call just weeks before raising up the head of the giant, okay? Bob Jones has a prophetic word that he saw the sleeping giant, which represented the church, laying across the United States. Its head was in Cleveland. Its feet were all the way down in um, Atlanta, Georgia. And so uh, Lou Engel called the call to Cleveland And we were waking up the head of the giant with the hopes that it's eventually going to stand up in Atlanta and birth revival on this side of the country. That's a prophecy from John Bob Jones. So literally, we were in the Cleveland arena just a couple of weeks before they won. And I came to church the next week and I said, 
The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like the Cleveland Cavaliers winning the basketball tournament. See, that's what the parables were like. We don't really relate so much in our culture to the parables because we don't we don't live with we're not shepherds and so a lot of the terminology and the examples the parables that Jesus told were he was creating an image in everybody's mind. An image that everyone could relate to that everyone already had embedded in their mind and in their imagination. So when he said the kingdom of heaven is like this, they immediately connected with it. So tonight the kingdom of heaven and the unity of the body of Christ is like the marriage supper of the Lamb. We've been celebrating tonight and we've referred to the supper and I am of <clears throat> very convinced, confident that God is Italian. Because the last thing Jesus did when he left the planet was to eat and the first thing we're all going to do when we get there is eat. Now, you all know I'm kidding, but anyway. But what I want us to do is I'm going to pray that God will open your mind. Now, I want to speak for a minute to men in the room. As believers, as strong Christian men, I know that there is a huge challenge for men to keep your imagination pure. And men battle with that more than women do sometimes. And I believe that that attack has not only um, created a, a real issue for men in terms of their thought life uh, and keeping their hearts pure sexually, but I also believe it has stolen the man's ability to be intimate with God. Because fantasy, and not just in the area of sexual fantasy, I'm getting deep here, I hope you're all okay with me bringing up these taboo subjects, but it's real, and that's, that's where I'm at. My ministry is called Real Living Ministry, and I'm all about keeping it real. So... But I believe fantasy is the enemy's counterfeit to prophecy and the seer gift. God does not want us to shut down our imagination. And men especially have been trained to shut down your imagination in an attempt to stay pure. We need to ask God to protect us from fantasy. Now, one of the ways women get caught up in, in the whole pornography thing, too. I'm not saying that's just a male issue. But women get more caught up in the area of fantasy. Oh, I wish my husband would sing to me. I wish it was like it was with Doris Day. And, you know, you know. <laughs> You know, women get all caught up in fantasy about what our relationships should be like. And, oh, you know. 
See, fantasy, even in the area spiritually, there's a difference between vision and fantasy. A lot of Christians fantasize about what their life should be like, but it's not a vision from the Lord. It's a counterfeit fantasy from the devil just to set you up and make you feel like a failure. So tonight, I want to pray a blessing over you first that if you have been caught up in fantasy or you have shut down your imagination trying to prevent yourself from being caught up into fantasy, I bless you in Jesus' name to release your imagination into the hands of God. To not try to manage that in your own strength, but that you would release your imagination right now into the hands of God. And so I bless your imagination. We want to sanctify it right now in the name of Jesus so that you will not be afraid to experience God through your imagination. Because tonight... God wants us to experience through our imagination as one what the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be like. And he's going to take us there in the spirit through our imagination. Anybody want to go? This is for everybody. It's not an elite group of people that have these experiences minimalistically occasionally, because that makes them seem more spiritual and powerful. These things should be everyday experiences. Walking with the Holy Spirit. This should just be the way, one of the most common ways in which God speaks through Scripture is through visions and dreams. And yet, the church has a tendency to think that that's just for the weird or elite group of people. All right, so I bless you that tonight we are going to do this together, unified. Now, I am going to set the stage for you because several years ago I was taken up into the Spirit and I visited the marriage supper of the Lamb. So I'm going to share with you my experience just as a place to start. But I'm going to trust that as we do this in the next few minutes, you're going to encounter God in a powerful, personal way. Something that will stick in your imagination because you're going to get an image that's going to change you. We sang the song about going down to the river and that we will not leave here changed. I'm telling you, I saw the river come into into this place and I started singing, you command the blessing, you command the blessing. And the Lord said, you're going to go up into the Spirit together tonight in unity. All right? So, close your eyes. And I'm just going to describe for you what what I saw in my experience. And it was a very grand, huge, just you couldn't really see where it ended, a huge garden area, just beautiful, with all kinds of plant life that I had never really seen before. So I want you to let God use your imagination right now and let him take you into this place. It doesn't have to look the way that mine looked. 
So we are in this garden, this big, beautiful garden, and in this garden there are pillars and around all the pillars are beautiful tables and they've got tablecloth on them, beautiful white linens. They're round tables with gold chairs that are around them. And when I first walked in and and I saw all these tables without any uh, place settings on them, I thought God was telling me about the timing of this because I could see angels all around and they were setting up, like they were bringing in uh, glasses and water jugs. and, And so I could tell they were setting up for the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the fact that there were millions of tables surrounding these pillars, I knew it was going to take a long time to set up all those tables. So I thought God was giving me a time frame. But then Jesus stepped alongside of me, and so now he is coming alongside of you. And he just began to walk me. He, He didn't speak. He just, I knew I needed to follow him. And he walked me quite a distance into the garden. And then he he told me to stand behind a particular chair. And so I came and I stood behind the chair. And when I did, I put my hands on the back of the chair. And as soon as I touched the chair, the entire table was set. And it lit up. And it had the most gorgeous plates and centerpiece and It was just beautiful. And the Lord told me to sit, and I sat at the table. And as soon as I sat there, the table was filled with men and women that have helped me along my spiritual journey. People like Charles Finney, my Bible college professor, Ruth. People who had passed on and they were all at my table. People that I didn't even know, like uh, Catherine Coleman, but these people had poured so much into my life through their books and And I got the chance to just thank them for what they had done for me. So I just want you to imagine who's sitting at your table. What would you say to them for what they've done? How they've helped you in your life? And then the Lord put his hand on my back and I stood up from the table. When I stood up, I realized the pillar that surrounded a few tables. There were pillars that were real tall in the middle of all the tables. It turned into like a hologram and it was the throne 
God was right there in our midst. Everyone was seeing him close up, all at the same time. What would you say? What would you say? What would you see him? And then he walked me, and I stood behind another table. And it was the same thing. It, there was nothing on it until I touched the chair. And when I touched the chair, this table was just, again, it looked different than the other one, but it was beautiful. And when I sat in the chair, I was a guest at someone else's table. And they began to thank me for what I had done in their life. God, you are so beautiful. You share your glory. Amazing. That you share your glory with us. That we will be one, one bride, and it's our day with Jesus. And we will be one. We will celebrate each other. Celebrate our love for God and for each other. What a beautiful picture of unity.
No, I I have no scripture and verse for that. I have no idea if that's really what the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be like. But what I can tell you is that that experience that I had with God taught me some things about God's character. It amazed me. I, I never even thought about it till I had that encounter with him. That this should be his day. You know what I mean? Like his moment, his hour. And he's sharing it with us. God is always sharing his glory. And I, I personally believe that is the shift that everybody's been talking about for you know twenty some years now. The prophets have been saying, you know, the shift is coming. The shift is coming. And I, I I've been one of them saying it. But I, I, <laughs> the church has got to learn to share their glory with each other. We're glory hogs. This has absolutely nothing to do with the courts, but I'm just... Uh, And actually it does. It has everything to do with the courts because our ability to go before the throne of grace has to do with our our heart, the position of our heart when we approach the throne. Rick Joyner um, had a vision years ago that has absolutely revolutionized my life and the Lord brings it back to me on a regular basis and some of you are probably familiar with it, I'm sure. But he had a vision where um, he saw this huge storm raging in the ocean and he saw three demon spirits that were causing the storm and all the boats of unsaved people were out in this storm and Rick is standing on the shoreline of an island that represented the church and there was a huge war going on on the island and three demons were over the island causing the war in the church. And Rick Joyner is standing on the shoreline watching both the war and the storm. And he says to Jesus, he says, aren't you going to do something about this? (laughs) You know, He said, aren't you going to bring those ships in? And Jesus said, to what, to this? And when Jesus turned to face the war going on and said to this, a huge wave coming up from the storm going on in the world caused a tsunami that totally wiped out the church completely. And it laid in ruins. Now, he had this about 20 years ago. I, I hope we're, we're experiencing this already. 
Um, but anyway, the church was totally leveled. Nobody knew what to do anymore. Everything had changed. And so the people that survived that were kind of coming up out of the rubble and they came over to the shoreline where Jesus was. And then Jesus let the boats come in and people started single filey lining up to come to Jesus. People that survived the war uh, in the church and the people that survived the storm were all coming up to Jesus. And Now Rick Joyner is standing next to Jesus this whole time. And Jesus has a dagger in his hand. And every person who comes up to him, he asks them the same question, will you die for me? And the ones who say no, they get escorted by the angels to go into the new tabernacle that's being built to worship the Lord. And then the ones who say yes, They get stabbed in the chest by Jesus with the dagger. And they get carted off by the angels to go lay in open graves in the graveyard called obscurity. And they lay there until they die. Some of them died quickly. Some of them were stubborn enough to take a while. I think I've been one of those people. Now, Rick is watching all of this, and he's getting madder by the second at the, what he believed was the injustice of it. How could Jesus let all these people that said they wouldn't die for him go get blessed? And, and all these people that said they would die are, are suffering in these, this graveyard. And so Rick is telling you in his book, he said at that point in the vision, it was so intense. He said he actually contemplated for just a second taking a step away from Jesus because he knew he couldn't maintain his anger being as close to Jesus as he was. So he said in his mind, he was so angry at what he believed was injustice that he, he contemplated stepping away. He said, but the thought, that anything would be more important to him than Jesus scared him. So instead of stepping away like he thought, he lunged towards the Lord. And when he lunged towards the Lord, Jesus went like this and scooped him up, and he realized that he was standing right on the edge of a cliff, and had he taken even a centimeter step, he would have been gone. And Jesus looked at him and he said, The hypocrisy I can deal with, but the anger will start the war again, and I won't tolerate it. Being a prophet, I get angry. And years ago, I was angry all the time. 
I learned how to preach standing in the street corners of Mardi Gras. I had curses put on me and all kinds of craziness happened. I spent most of my 20s on the mission field. I was fine with the world. I couldn't stand the church. (laughs) I mean, I expected baloney from the unsaved people. I mean, I... That, you know, I had a gun put to my head by a Muslim. I had, you know, a drug dealer try to kill me with a a knife. You know, that. But, man, I couldn't take the church for more than a couple minutes, and I was ticked. I had to lay in that graveyard of obscurity for a very long time. before the Lord could heal my heart. You know, last night I shared that there's a big difference between faith and presumption. And I honestly believe that until the church dies to self, see, Jesus says, if you do not die to self, you would not be my disciple. Now, that word die to self does not mean die to sin. Jesus did that. I'm not responsible to try to fix my sin. Jesus did that. What I have to die to is myself, my my will. And you know, when you've been saved, I've been saved my whole life. That's my testimony. I have to take it on faith, what I would be like without Jesus. Because I got saved at a very young age, and so God has kept me from the person I would be without him. Now, don't get me wrong. I've seen glimpses of that girl, and I really don't want anything to do with her. <laughs> you know, every once in a while, the Lord will remind me, hey, this is me. Here's you. Let me just give you a glimpse. My daughters know they've seen that. Okay? So, but you know, when you have that kind of testimony, it sets you up for spiritual pride. Big time. You forget that you require just as much grace and mercy as anybody else. So I laid in that graveyard for a long, long time. You know, I was mad, like, because I was a prophet that was hearing from God. And, but God wasn't lifting me up. He wasn't putting me in places of power. And, you know, what did all those other people have that I don't have, you know? I'm just I'm just being real with you. You know, as as humans, we you know the Bible says even though we're foolish for comparing ourselves among ourselves, we we do it, right? You know, you may not. I have a very high need for connection. You know, there are four predominant needs that we all have. There is the need for significance, the need for connection the need for variety, and the need for certainty. We all have those four needs, just in varying degrees. 
So you may be a person who has a very high need for certainty. So being around prophets scares you. Because see, prophetic people, prophets, yeah, no. High need for variety. Don't hem me in with a lot of structure and schedules. I love this place because it's like, yeah, I think we're going to do it tomorrow. I don't know. Do you guys want to come here at 10? Who's speaking? Oh, I don't know. Who wants to speak tomorrow? Hey, that is a prophetic ministry. But now you got people who have a high need for certainty. Oh, oh that's, that's a challenge to follow. So you got high need for certainty, high need for variety, high need for connection, and a high need for um, significance. For me, I have a high need for connection and significance. Connection, really, more than anything. It hurts when people don't like me. I think I'm a really nice person. I think we have a phenomenal ministry. Why don't you want to stay here? And then the Lord said to me, you're done with trying to make people stay in your ministry. I don't want prisoners. Quit with the back, trying to close the back door. Quit the follow-up programs, the friendship registries, calling people when they miss church three times a week. Oh, thank God I got past all that. You know? Yeah. But, I mean, I was a, I was a, a pastor in a mainline Pentecostal denomination. I mean, when I left that to start a church and said we weren't doing any of that stuff, I mean, did not go well in my community. Why am I telling you all this? Because the courts is a great tool, but it is only as successful as our relationship with God. Okay, and there is a big difference between giftedness and anointing. And you could be a gifted prophet or a gifted seer, but it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. And I'm going to tell you what, anointing comes from laying in the graveyard of obscurity till you die to all the fleshly stuff. And you may be like me and you, and you don't realize the fleshly stuff that's still hanging on because you don't do drugs, you don't party, you don't do all the sinful things. You know, but Paul says, what is wrong with you people? Have you tried to finish in the flesh what was begun in the spirit? What is with all this jealousy? I'm telling you what, I can't get over the insecurity amongst leaders in churches. You have an amazing leadership here. I haven't sensed that not even for a split second with these two. They're amazing. But I... 
you know, you get around a lot of leadership and man, you, oh, so insecure, so fearful. What is that? It's because we're not dying to self. Last I remember, God still is holy. Now listen, I got delivered from a religious spirit about 20 years ago. And I, t- I already said, I learned how to preach standing on the street corners of Mardi Gras. I was hellfire and brimstone. I could walk up to a guy tatted up six foot tall with mohawk and look like somebody you'd never want to talk to, and I would walk up and just point my finger right in his face and start preaching at him. I, I thought everybody was going to hell, including me. I just had enough guilt and condemnation that made me feel a little better about how sinful I was. That, I was angry at the church most of the time because, in my mind, they were a bunch of sinners and didn't seem to care about it. I at least had enough guilt and condemnation that seemed to make up for it. Now, you know, I got delivered from that. Yes, hallelujah. And much of the church has gotten delivered from that. But something I'm observing is this whole bridal thing where we're all just loving each other and everybody's okay and we're all just being Jesus to each other. Hey, I am all about that. You can ask my kids. I, I, don't, I don't preach about lifestyle. We've got all kinds of people in our church. And I figure I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. I'm going to get you to fall in love with Jesus. I'm going to help you to experience Jesus. And I trust that when you connect with the Trinity, Holy Spirit's going to help you work out your sin. Right? But I I am getting a little concerned that Holy Spirit has gotten a little laxed in the area of sin. Because he doesn't seem to be convicting people all that much anymore these days. All right, I'm just starting to preach. Has nothing to do with the courts. Calm down, Joy. All right, so, because I know I'm preaching the choir here. Y'all, I, I, I know y'all walking with God. You're good. No, I sense that. I'm, I'm serious. But when we come to the courts, it is all about the condition of our heart. And that is what's going to make the difference. That's what's going to make it work or make it just be another technique that comes and goes, right? Okay, so shifting the narrative is the theme this year at our ministry, and I'm just sharing it with all of you for those that weren't here last night. And we're talking about dealing with darkness in the courts, and it requires us to shift the narrative. The devil has a narrative about what's going on, And God's got a narrative. And it's up to us to shift the narrative from what the enemy says and sees to what God says and sees. 
And we know Jesus told us how to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? So we have an obligation to figure out what's going on in heaven. What is heaven saying? What is heaven declaring? What's happening in heaven? We have an obligation to connect with that, know what that is, experience that, and then bring it here to heaven. Okay? So we have to have the ability to actually connect with the spirit realm and go to heaven to understand what's happening there. It still amazes me how many believers really don't have a relationship with the Trinity. They know about them. They know about the Father. They know about Jesus. They know about the Holy Spirit. But are you encountering him? Are you spending time in their presence? Listen, this is what it's all about. It's not about being able to quote Scripture if you've never experienced that Scripture. See, it has to be more than a cognitive idea. James says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That man cannot receive anything from God. Why is that? Well, because we have creedal statements of faith. I know God loves me. Every believer knows that. I know God loves me unconditionally. But your husband doesn't treat you unconditionally. And so you got this experience going on. And your relationship maybe with your husband or your relationship with uh, your parents if you're younger or your relationship with a boss or an experience in life has taught you that love is not unconditional and you aren't accepted just for who you are. Oh, we all say it. See, that's being double-minded. I can say, oh, Jesus loves me unconditionally. But do you fall apart into a pit of despair and fear and anxiety when someone doesn't like you and doesn't come back to your church? See, that's double-mindedness. He either loves me unconditionally, and it doesn't matter whether somebody else doesn't. See, the, the key is my experience has to be the same as my creedal statement. Oswald Chambers says we can rise no higher than our concept of God. And actually, that's A.W. Tozer. We can rise no higher than our concept of God. So my creedal statement of belief is of little value compared to my actual thoughts. So I can say, I have value in the kingdom. Mm, but I don't sing as good as so-and-so. Creedal statement, not the same as experience. Are you with me? So people can prophesy over you and say, you have an amazing, and this is true, you have an amazing anointing on your voice. Heaven filters through like the, the, the atmosphere, like, like oil running down the beard of Aaron when you sing. It's amazing. 
Now that's the word of the Lord for you. And you can believe that God loves you and that, and that he does value your gift. Or you could be thinking in your head, oh, no, she doesn't, she doesn't really know me. What is that? See, that's the dying to self that needs to go. See, those subtle thoughts that are constantly rising up in opposition to what God says is true. Somebody prophesies over you, and they're speaking the truth. If you don't agree with them, you're the one that's lying. Ooh, what? Now, you know, I'm talking about somebody you trust that you know has a prophetic word. Of course prophets can be wrong. But you understand what I'm saying? If God speaks to you and you say, the prophet's usually not the one lying. You're listening to the accusations of the devil. And see, this concept of the courts is all about going into the throne room and hearing the accusations of the devil. Now, we have to have a choice. Do I want to discern that and then go, oh, whoa, okay, I need to break my agreement with that. See, if I'm wishy-washy, if I've got areas of agreement because I listen to the accusations of the enemy, in which, by the way, he doesn't speak as, this is Satan telling you that you really don't have an anointing. The accusations of the enemy come as your own thought. Oh, my pasta didn't taste as good as Sister Sue's tonight. I'm never going to do that again. This is where it really is happening, okay? I know none of you are out, you know, doing the really sinful stuff. Yeah, 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 maybe some of you might bet. Okay, so we're going to speak life over y'all, right? But are you with me? See, we're not going into the courts, coming boldly to declare heaven and bring heaven to earth if I listen to the accuser and I agree with him. Yeah, no, 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 no. And here's the other thing. How many times are we a character witness for the devil's defense? Oh, that's sister so-and-so. She just thinks she is all that. Did she have to make her best pasta tonight and show us all off? Who said that? Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. They were just kidding. They were, yeah. Are you with me? See, our critical judgmental thoughts and words, we have to realize you're standing right next to the devil and he's going, see, I should have a right to take sister so-and-so's life and give her cancer because even her pastor thinks she's an idiot. 
See, this is what's going on in the court. The devil's got a case against every single one of us. And we are either testifying on God's behalf or testifying on the devil's behalf. And we're not walking into no court with presumption all fired up because somebody wrote a book and said, oh, this is going to change everything, and now we come waltzing into the court. No, 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 back it on up. So there, there needs to be some repentance that goes on in our heart on a regular basis. I'm telling you, I, I, I find myself repenting so much more since I've understood this concept of the court. Because, ooh, ooh, I can't, ooh. Because I'm imagining myself standing next to the devil giving a, a, a witness account against that person I just had a critical thought about. Last night I told you all we're all praying for the glory of God, right? A couple of years ago, I was at a prophetic conference and <clears throat> we were all singing, Family trees are blowing in the wind. Family trees are blowing in the wind. You know, all this prophetic stuff. Everybody starts singing, dancing. We're all, family trees are blowing in the wind, right? You know, I mean, all this stuff. And it was awesome, right? It was going on for like an hour. And I got to go to the bathroom. So I left and went to the bathroom. And my, hus- my phone dings, and it's my husband sending me a text. So I pick up my phone, and I can't even get my eyes to focus. I can't even imagine what I'm looking at. Because what I'm looking at is three giant, giant trees on top of my house. No joke. There was a storm back in Ohio. I was in Oklahoma at the time. There was a storm going on at home, and my family trees were blowing in the wind, and they came crashing down on my house. I am still in court with Allstate. If you've got them, get another one. Four years later, they don't want to take care of what happened to my house. We are still in court. Now, when it happened, and he don't send me nothing, by the way, no text. Honey, don't panic. I have this all under control. I'm your knight in shining armor. No. I just get this picture I call him. He's in a panic. My daughter, Cammie, was there. She said she, he's scared a tart of her because my husband is really usually my knight in shining armor. He's completely calm when I'm freaking out, you know. And he was, how about a cam, losing it. Like, literally the trees caused all these holes in my roof and water is just gushing everywhere. 
right? They're going and getting buckets and bins, tossing stuff that I had down in the basement, all my Christmas decorations tossed out of the bins because they're just trying to get the water from rushing into my house. So needless to say, he didn't talk to me for very long. So I go back out to the prayer. And I got a hold of the guy up there on the worship team, and I said, I got a word. <laughs> I got a word! Sister Betty, I had a word! <laughs> oh, I had a word. I got up, I said, I'm going to tell you something. I said, I just had three giant trees fall on my house while we're all out here singing. The, the whole room just, like E.F. Hutton, you know? I said, we don't know what we're singing about. You know, we're all talking about binding and loosening and casting out the demons from our bloodlines. And, you know, do you have any idea what you're stirring up? You know, we're just out there. We're, 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 we're Jesus freaks. We're, we got the armor of God on. And, we have no idea what we're stirring up. And then we stir this stuff up and everything hits the fan and we're like, ah, Jesus! Yeah, you did it! Hey, nobody loves more than me to get crazy. I mean, you can ask these two. Tonight, what happened here tonight is like mild compared to what goes on in my church every Sunday. We are off the chart crazy. So I don't want you all to think, you know, I'm this. But we, we are praying for the glory of God. And like I said last week, last night, when the glory of God was manifesting so that 3,000 people got saved in a day and Jesus was adding to their numbers and people were getting healed, man, when we think about that, we all want that, we all want that. Come glory, 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 glory. Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead because they didn't admit how much money they got for the property they sold. Just dropped. Drop dead. The glory is nothing to mess with. Can't go marching all in there. Unless you can back it up with some anointing. You back it up with some anointing because you've died to self. You've laid in the graveyard of obscurity. You've let God kill off your stuff. And you're getting up out of that graveyard with some anointing. Now, okay, now you get to go into the courts and do some business. I'm preaching good. Anybody, anybody else think I'm preaching? I'm preaching good, y'all. Come on. See, remember I told you I'm a person with a high need for connection, so unless you want me to talk all night, I need to hear you all connecting with me that you're getting it, or I'm just going to keep saying it and saying it and saying it, you know. All right. Job. We all know this passage. The angel comes 
presents themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan says, I've been roaming around the earth, going back and forth in it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on the earth like him. Ah, Job fears God for nothing, Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? See, this is what's going on in the courts all the time. Somebody says, where's Satan? He's not omnipresent. You're right, he isn't. You know where he is? In the throne room. Making accusations all day long. His little demons and cohorts are, what do you call those people in the court that actually do all the work for the lawyers? Paralegal, right? I, I know you're a lawyer, right? You know. Okay, so paralegals. See, the demons are all Satan's paralegals. They're out doing all the research. And they just come back to the throne room and they tell Satan, oh, here's what we got on so-and-so. This is what you can say about Kathy to make sure she doesn't get the healing in her body. Come on! This is going on all day long. This didn't just happen to Job. This is in the scripture to show us what's going on in heaven. So we know what happened. Satan was allowed to go out and we all know the whole story. Right? It's happening to us too. Why don't we get healed? Why are our finances jammed up? Right? Why aren't our kids walking with God? Because there's accusations going on in the throne room, except nobody's there to do anything about it. Zechariah. Ooh, love this passage. Next, the messenger angel showed me the high priest Joshua. He was standing before God's angel where the accuser showed up to accuse him. Then, G- then God said to the accuser, I, God, rebuke you, accuser. I rebuke you and show, choose Jerusalem. Oh! That is God's heart. He rebukes the devil and chooses us. Ooh! Love that. Surprise! Everything is going up in flames, but I reach in and I pull out Jerusalem. That's what God is saying. Everything might be going up in flames in your life, but God is going to reach in. He spoke up and said, how about a clean new turban for his head also? And they did it. And they put a clean new turban on Joshua's head. Then they finished dressing him with God's angels looking on. God's angel then charged Joshua. Orders from God of the angel armies. If you live the way I tell you and remain obedient in my service, then you'll make the decisions around here. Oh, come on! Then you'll make the decisions around here and oversee my affairs and all my attendants standing here will be at your service. Oh, come on. See, we are priests of the Lord, are we not? We have the same opportunity that was given to Joshua. That if we walk obediently, see, our heart's got to be right first. But if 
we walk obediently, God is going to clean it up. He's going to put a fresh turban on your head. He's going to wash you up and he's going to clean you up. He's going to restore you from whatever's gone on in your life. And then he's going to say to you, if you walk obediently, you're going to get to call the shots around here. See, that is the bridal shift. See, the church of Jesus Christ is being transitioned from being warriors on the battlefield to being the queen in the throne room calling the shots. But let's not forget, God is coming back for a spotless bride. And God's not coming back for a harem, by the way. He's coming back for a bride. We have to be united. We are one. He is not coming back for a harem. So we got a lot of work to do. You understand that? You know, we don't just get to march ourselves into the courtroom and say, I am the bride of Christ. <sighs> Lord, help us. If it was that easy, we'd be changing the world a little faster than we are. Oh, that's all right. All right, so, Luke. Now, this is a great parable. We all know it. Okay, the widow keeps coming to the judge and the judge won't pay any attention to her and she just keeps coming, harassing him, harassing him, expecting justice, expecting justice and finally the wicked judge was so annoyed with her that he just did what she wanted, right? But this is Jesus, he says, and then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge said. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him, what? For an hour? Day and night. Say it. How long do we got to do this? Hey, this is not a quick fix. You're not going to go into the courts and everything's going to get settled and your whole life is going to turn around and you're living the American dream. Okay, this is, this is a calling to do some business. And it's going to take those of us who are determined to do it over and over and over again. That so we are not results-oriented because we've done with our stuff. We are all about Jesus. I like what Mike Bickle says. We have become voluntary lovers. Lay-down lovers. It's all about Jesus and doing what Jesus needs. It's not about our needs and doing what we want. And we're willing to do it day and night for as long as it takes because we know we have been summoned to the court to do the business of God, to bring heaven to earth. And we understand that's a big task and it's not going to happen overnight. But it is going to happen. And we have the glorious privilege of being called to that. Come on. Luke. Simon, Simon, Jesus says to him, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, 
strengthen your brothers. See, Jesus went to the courts on behalf of Simon. And he heard the accusation of the devil. That the devil was asking God, let me sift Simon like you let me do to Joel. And Jesus said, I was in the courtroom for you today, and I heard the devil making accusations against you, but I said no. Now see, that's why we go to the court. To hear the accusations. You got people that are bothering you? People that aren't walking in their destiny? They're not doing what God wants them to do? And you've tried, and you, they just are not listening to you. Stop. Stop. Go to the court. Find out what the accusations are in the courtroom, and you might find out that some of them are coming from you. Find out what the accusations are. What is the devil saying about those people that you're frustrated with? What is he declaring over them? Why? So you've got to go to the courtroom. You've got to hear that. You've got to ask God some questions. Why is the devil saying that about them? Why is he allowed to do that? What right does he have to do that? See, we go there to do some business. And if we need to repent because we've been a witness for the devil in our frustrations, then we need to repent. If God shows you that it has something to do with something going on in their bloodline, then you have the opportunity to come before God and to repent on their behalf as an act of intercession. To push back the accusations of the devil that will give that person the opportunity to come forward and do the repenting themselves. See, we don't get to repent for people in their place, but as an act of, of intercession. The Bible says that whoever sins we forgive, they are forgiven. And whoever sins we retain, they are retained. What does that mean? Do we have the power to forgive sin? No, only Jesus has the power to forgive sin. What I have the power to do is loose the person from the environment around them that keeps them trapped in their sin. See, if I say, I choose to forgive you, see, what I'm saying is, I loose you from the unforgiveness that surrounds you. I loose you from the grief, from the, the sin, from the um, guilt and condemnation, the accusations of the devil, that the environment your sin has created around you, I release you from that. I forgive you. And I release you from that environment so that you can make an intelligent decision. Are you with me? They still have to come forward and make that intelligent decision themselves, right? But as an act of intercession, okay? But if I'm over here griping, and I'm being an eyewitness 
for the devil's accusation against somebody, I'm keeping that person retained in their sin because I'm a part of the culture of unforgiveness. So I'm, re- I'm a part of retaining them in it. I'm keeping them bound. They can't get loose from their sin because I'm a part of the culture that's keeping them bound in their behavior. You with me? See, that's what we're doing when we go into the courts. Okay? Matthew, I tell you, Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That is the business of the kingdom we have been given. Now, I'm not going to get into the story with you, but recently I went to Israel this past summer, and I went to Caesarea Philippi to the very place where Jesus spoke these words. Amazing. And literally there is a huge cave with a deep spring that's in it. And on the wall uh, next to this cave are all of these old carvings where statues to the god of uh, Pan used to be. And they would have been there when Jesus spoke this. He was standing right in front of this wall of dedication to Pan. And this cave right next to this wall is called the Gates of Hell. And they used to throw their babies into the spring as child sacrifice to Pan. So when Jesus stood there, and by the way, I am telling you the story, but when Jesus stood there and he said, Peter, upon this rock, his testimony that Jesus Christ is the true and living God. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The, the place in which the devil is stealing all the innocent people. It will not prevail. And he gave them the keys of the kingdom. Now I want to tell you, I encountered this giant angel Because at this same place is where the headwaters for the Jordan River start. And standing right there in the headwaters of the Jordan River was this giant angel. And he told me his name was Keys to the Kingdom. So I believe that the Keys to the Kingdom is actually angelic power given to us to help us bind and loose stuff in the earth. The angels are coming alongside of us and they are the keys to the kingdom. They are the ones who are carrying out the writ of assistance. Okay, They are the ones that when we come into the courtroom and we hear God's declaration and his verdict and he releases the angels to carry out his orders. See, that's the keys. We need to start partnering with the angels that are working with us. Do you all know you have an angel that's been assigned to you? Have you seen them? Do you know their name? Do you know what their work is, what their purpose is, what they're trying to help you with? Find out. You all got them. We have got to tune into the spirit realm, you guys. We cannot, be li- we cannot afford to continue to live our Christian lives carnally. 
A carnal mind, the word carnal means natural. We have to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh, not in the carnal mind. Listen, all this spiritual stuff makes no sense to the carnal mind. Romans tells you the carnal mind will wage war against the Spirit. See, we have to choose to be connected to the heavenly realm. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. It's not on some far side of Pluto, you guys. It's right here. Can we see it? Are we connected to it? Is it real? You know, I talked to my daughter and I went to um, uh, New Orleans this past February and I struck up a conversation with one of the fortune tellers there and he was thinking he was impressing me because he kept telling me, I've died five times, you know. So this was apparently like his reason for having all his powers, you know. So I said to him, well, I'm a prophet of the Lord and I have a word for you. He says, oh. And I said, the reason why you've died five times and God hasn't let you stay there is because you really don't know him. So I said, he keeps sending you back so that you'll figure out who he is. And he just looked at me and he goes, but I have died five times. I said, I've been to heaven on a regular basis I go there. And I've never had to die to do it. That's because I know the true and the living God, Jesus Christ. And you can know him too and not have to die to connect with him. All these books that are being written about people seeing heaven, why is this something that is on the bestsellers list among Christians? We should all be able to write a book like that. That that should just be common. I have a lady in my church. Her name is Priscilla. And one day I was talking and I was telling a story about Priscilla. And I said, so now Priscilla came up to me, you know, and I was telling the story. And afterwards, somebody in my church came up to me and they said, you know, we really do have a crazy group here. I said, why would you mean? And she said, Oh, no, it was a he. He said, because I was listening to your story in the first two minutes, I wasn't sure whether it was the Priscilla that's in our church that came up and talked to you or Priscilla from the Bible, Priscilla and Aquila. (laughs) That that should not be happening to just the, the elite spiritual people. You know, Jesus said you're going to know them and they're going to cast out demons. Like, that should be commonplace. It should just be like a normal thing. It shouldn't be this big, huge glory story that you encounter God or cast out a demon or saw an angel. Like, that? Come on, why is this like a big deal amongst believers? It shouldn't be. This should be our daily experience with God. The fact that it isn't is because we are carnal. We pay way more attention to the world around us. What we see with our natural eye is what we are paying attention to.
What we need is Holy Spirit bifocals. See, because you need to be reading the earth and seeing heaven. Not reading your Bible, but seeing the earth. Hello? Yeah. The spirit world should be make way more sense to us. It, it should be what we live by. It should be common to us. It should be our daily experience. And then occasionally, you might take an aspirin because you actually just have a headache. I lost my keys the other day. It frustrated the tar out of me. I couldn't find them. Still haven't found them. Had to start using my spare set, which I couldn't find that either. I was really frustrated. When I finally calmed down, I said, Lord, what is going on? Why can't I find my keys? He said, well... Go look up what a Kia means. That's the car I drive. I looked up the word Kia in Hebrew. It means Christian woman. No kidding. I drive an Optima. Optimum Christian woman is my vehicle. And the Lord says, I'm upgrading you, and you need a new set of keys. And I've been trying to tell you that, but you're really frustrated because I've taken the old keys away from you and you keep trying to find them. Oh. Thank you for the parable, Jesus, to help me understand what you're trying to do in my life. See, everything has a meaning. Absolutely everything. God is always speaking. The problem is we're not tuned in. We're not listening. Okay. What time is it? Oh, whoa. Huh? Yeah. All right. All right. I mean, how crazy is that that I was just talking about a car and keys and they come in and they, right, and no, and the car is alarming, you know, like, hello. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up because I've kept you here way too long and it's really hot in here. All right, so listen, there are nine voices that speak in the courts, okay? You could, if you want to take a picture of this slide so you can study all those scriptures, but there are nine voices that speak in the courts. So when you come into the courts and you come before the Lord, the first thing you're going to want to do is find out where the devil is, what is he bringing, what accusations are he, is he bringing. You want to hear those. And then you want to begin to speak or allow the great cloud of witnesses to speak on behalf of that individual 
or the situation in which you are there in the courtroom for. Okay? And you could be going in a civil case, which would be you're bringing a particular person before the Lord. That's like a civil case. Or you could come before a kingdom court on an issue like abortion. Okay? Or sometimes people are going through things and it's not a civil case. It's a kingdom case. In other words, sickness in your body or lack of finances may not be because you've committed any sin or you're doing anything wrong. It may not be a civil case. It may be a kingdom case. See, you're being attacked by the enemy because you're getting too close to your destiny and the devil's got something against you to try to prevent you from moving forward in your destiny. So you need to ask God, what court am I in? Am I in a civil case? Because the civil case is going to require you to repent on behalf of the individual, bloodlines and things that might be going on individually in that person's life. But if it's a kingdom issue, the accusations are going to be on a much grander scale. It's going to be about everybody who's called to that particular destiny. So if the person you've come into the courts for is an evangelist, for, for instance, they may be suffering in their finances because there's an attack on the gift of evangelism. You with me? So then you're, that's more of a kingdom case. So when you're coming into the courts, you just need to ask a lot of questions. This sounds really hard, but it isn't. Two things you have to do. Make sure your heart is right before you go into the courts. Ask God to show you if there's anything you need to repent of. Make sure you're coming into the courts in the right heart. And when you come in, just start asking a lot of questions. If you see something, why am I seeing that, God? What does that mean? What are you trying to show me? Just keep asking the Father the questions, and Jesus is going to be there, Holy Spirit's going to be there to guide you through the process of the business that you're doing in the courts. Okay? And so these various voices can speak. The main thing is, Jesus says, we are to pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is key. We need to shift the narrative in the courtroom because the devil does not know the Father heart of God. He only knows God as judge. The devil is all about the law, and that's why his accusations work. Because he speaks to the judge and he's all about the law. We get the opportunity to come into the courtroom, shift the narrative, and we're, we're changing the game. See, because we're coming in and we're talking to the Father, and, G and the devil don't know nothing about that. See, we get to talk to the Father, and we get to appeal to the Father heart of God, and the devil's going, whoa, 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 what about this? What about this? And we get to say, yeah, no, that's all inadmissible evidence it's inadmissible evidence because we're not speaking to the judge devil we're speaking to the father heart of god and we're under grace not the law so all those accusations are inadmissible evidence yeah even though it's hot in here and i've been talking a long time that's good stuff all right so speak to the Father. Ask for the books to be open. 
The whole purpose of the court is to discover the books. We all have a book. Daniel says, a river of fire was flowing, coming up from him, thousands upon thousands attending him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And the court was seated and the books were open. See, we are all summoned to the court. We are among the thousands and thousands that come before the throne of grace. And we get to come, according to Hebrews, with confidence. Okay? But we come there to have the books opened. This is about us discovering our destiny. What were we put on the planet to do? Yesterday I told you we are all going back to the future. Because we need to go back to Eden. We need to go back to the moment that we agreed to our books before we were put into our mother's womb, like Jeremiah says. See, because before we were put into our womb, we agreed with our books. And we said, yes, Father, we will do that. And then we were put into our body, and we are all on a journey back to the future to discover what it was that we agreed to do. And that is the big shift in the narrative, see? It is not about, your future is not in front of you. Your future is behind you. Yeah, sorry, for the sake of the recording, right? We're all going back to the future. And so you've got to be courageous enough to discover what your books are because some of you may have strayed a pretty far away from that and you might be comfortable where you're at and it may require you to give up some stuff and some stuff you really like, which, by the way, revival is not about giving up sin. Okay, that's like... That's what happens for people who aren't believers. They give up sin. Revival okay, is a reawakening, and that usually requires us to give up stuff we like about ourselves. It worked for a season. It got you this far. But God is saying, for you to go to the next place in your journey, uh, no, you can't do that anymore. That's worked for you. That got you here, but it's not going to get you where you're going. See, that's revival. So we have to be courageous enough to say, yes, I want the books to open, and I want to see what I agree to. I want to go back to the future, and I want to get back on track with wherever the enemy has been able to get me off track. And we're doing that for others as well. Psalm says this, David says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, and when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Ah! How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, and when I awake, I am still with you. What is he saying? When we were in our mother's womb, listen, I know I've been talking a long time, but I need you to hear what I'm about to say to you. It's going to change your world. We know God spoke everything into existence. But every thought that God has ever had concerning you, and this passage says that we cannot even contain them, right? There are so many, his thoughts towards us. But every thought 
every thought that God has ever had for you was woven into the fabric of your being when you were in your mother's womb. Those thoughts are what wove your muscles, your tendons, created your blood, created your brain cells, created your eyes, created your hands, created your stomach, created your heart. Those thoughts of God are what wove you together like a tapestry. Every thought of God is intricately a part of who you are. You are a song. You are a thought of God. Come on! You were created by those thoughts! And that happened in your mother's womb. Now, stick with me for a minute. Why does David call, you wove me together in the depths of the earth? Why does he refer to the womb as the depths of the earth? Because it is the darkest place. The depth of the earth is also used as a term to refer to hell because of darkness. What is God saying? When our spirit that was free and knew God was put into our mother's womb, we went into hell. Because when we came out of our mother's womb, our spirit was now bound into a temporal, human, fleshly body. And we live in hell till our spirit gets released. Oh! And our entire journey... It's about our spirit rediscovering who we really are. David said, when I awake, I am still with you. He says, when? Because see, it's not just about when we were born out of our mother's stomach, but every time we are in darkness, you guys. The Bible says he leads us into the wilderness to speak softly to us. Every dark place you've ever been in is a womb where he re-speaks softly the words, his thoughts. Those dark places are times for you to be reminded of who you really are. Of who God says you are. David says, when I wake from that darkness, you are still with me. We all go through seasons. And we know that winter is dead and dormant and dark. Winter is when everything is growing. Springtime is not when everything grows. Springtime is when the earth is celebrating the growth that took place in the darkness, in the earth, when no one was looking and no one could see. 
The roots were growing. The bulbs of our tulips were growing. Growth happens in the winter season when there is nothing to behold. It's dark. That's when we grow spiritually. And then springtime comes, and we got it all backwards. We think when we're in time of spring, because things are springing up and life is coming in, God, we're connected to God, and we're seeing him, and we're hearing him, and we're having visions and dreams, and people are getting healed. We think springtime is when we're growing. No. You're having a springtime because you had a winter And the key to being successful in the courts is to get to the place of Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 16, and I'm ending with this, and I mean it. She says, North winds blow. South winds blow. Blow upon my garden and Stir up its spices that my lover may be drawn in. What is she saying? She finally got to a place of utter surrender to God where she didn't care if the north winds of trial blew into her life. See, the garden is her life. She says, north winds blow. I don't care if a trial comes. Or south winds blow. Let the warm breeze of a blessing come into my life. To her, it was all the same because all she really desired was to have the spices of her life, her heart, her passion, her destiny, her worship, stirred up by whatever blew into her life, stirred up that I might draw my lover in. All she cared about was one more glimpse of God, one more encounter with him, one more opportunity to see him again. And it didn't matter what drew him into her life. See that? That's the place of anointing. Dying in a graveyard of obscurity because the good news about that vision is that the people who went to the graveyard and died When they finally died, the angels came alongside of them and resurrected them. And they got put back into the church. And they began to rebuild the church. And the more glory they gave away, because they would come and they would share their glory with the people who wouldn't die. Who sat and just worshipped God, but never experienced Him in the dark places. They shared their glory with those people. And every time they shared their glory and they gave it away, they got more and their light got brighter. But every time the people who said no to Jesus, who got to celebrate with him while we were dying, every time they did something for Christ, it cost them so much their light went out. See, I I don't want my light going out. I don't want to get so tired from doing what I'm doing for God because I'm doing it out of my own strength because I haven't been willing to die to self. And so every time I give, it costs me something. 
See, Jesus, when the woman at the well came, or the woman touched the hem of his garment, he turned around and said, Who touched me? Now, there were thousands of people all around him. He was being touched by a lot of people. But the touch that required his virtue, he felt it leave him. See, every time we reach out, every time we love someone, every time we walk with Christ, every time we do something, it costs us our virtue. If we're doing it in our own flesh, it's costing us too much. And we see it happen every day. Big names in the kingdom who were doing great, big, powerful things come tumbling down. And their lives are destroyed. Their marriages fall apart. They're discovered that they're in some deep, dark sin. Why? Because they never truly died to self. And everything they were doing was costing them. Costing them virtue. Till finally their light went out. I don't want to be one of those people. And I don't think anybody in this room wants to be one of those people. So if you have said yes to dying to yourself, or you want to say yes, I want you to stand to your feet. Father says the river of God is rising. And it's rising in the graveyard of obscurity. And those who have been buried deep are coming up out of those graves into the river. And restoration is upon you, the Lord says. Restoration is upon you. The dark night of the soul is coming to its conclusion. Springtime is on its way. And God says, you are being given the eyes of the owl. The eyes of the owl can see through the darkness. The Father says you will see through the darkness. You will not need the darkness to flee. You will be the light in the dark place. Father, I thank you that there are those in this room who are rising up out of the grave of obscurity even right now in this moment. Resurrection 
and life is being rebreathed into them once again. They will see their circumstances victoriously. There are those who, though they may be remaining in the grave, they have been given insight, understanding, and they are no longer afraid to stay there till it's time for the Lord to come and get you. Peace is coming to you. Who? And there are those who have been wandering, afraid to meet Jesus face to face, knowing what he was going to require of them. And the Lord says you are being given courage now to come before him and to say yes to dying, to letting go, to not be afraid. To not need to hold on to your life. But to die to self. Die to your own desires, your own needs, your own wants. You are saying yes. Spirits are rising, 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 rising. Darkness is fleeing, 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 fleeing. Light comes forth. Light comes forth. The Lord says you are a part of the menorah. You are one of the candlesticks burning in the darkness. It will never go out. He celebrates you in this feast. You are his favorite one because you possess a part of him that only you have. And when you give it back to him, you become one with him. That makes you his favorite one. Mm. Oh. Oh. 